This podcast is supported by Red Energy, powered by the mighty Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Red is a hundred percent Australian owned and local. Phone one three one eight zero six. Oh, she's done it brilliantly executed. Incredible stuff. The whole family are watching on in anticipation. And yes, there's the final nail in the chicken coop. Dad's been promising to build for a decade. And don't the kids just love it? Coming in for the final turn. He's gone to the left, a little bit to the right. Dodged the hills hoist. Grass clippings flying in his wake. Precision mowing doesn't get any better than that. They've really set their sights high for this one. A pizza oven, water feature and a new deck all by the end of lockdown but is it too much too soon only time will tell he's a do-it-yourself legend in the making welcome to the sport of gardening for cyclone tools built to last a lifetime trojan tools built tough only at bunnings warehouse and red energy owned by snowy hydro a renewable energy leader here's your host dale vine and jay neal And we love chatting to you every week about gardening, about DIY. So many people have embraced their backyards, renovating their homes during, of course, the pandemic. And now we're seeing the fruits of it, Dale. We're seeing people more proud than ever of their homes. Welcome. Yes. <laughs> I know that you have a long list of jobs you try and get done at Always. your own home. Yeah. But as a landscape designer, is it hard to do the ones at home? It is now, yeah. With kids, you never find the time. But I've got a fun little one that I'm uh, I'm trying to get done, but I just have um, put it off starting it because I'm just not a hundred percent sure I, I like the situated uh, the the place where I put my garden veggie bed. So, uh oh, hang on. I, I There's a replan. <laughs> well, I just want to sort it out a hundred percent before I continue with the next phase, which is using all the leftover little, you know, half a square metre here and a square metre here from paving jobs over the years. I've got heaps of different pavers at home, so I want to use them all to make a mix-match path around the veggie patch. All right, so you've got stockpiles of stuff lying mm-hmm. everywhere and you're not quite sure what you're doing. So nah, <laughs> Sounds like a good <laughs> a good stuff up on the way, doesn't it? I might throw a spanner in the works today yeah. as well because I'm going to introduce you to someone who is an absolute expert in harvest protection. Okay. Remember how we talked greenhouses a couple of weeks yes. ago? This is the equivalent of a greenhouse without the glass. So right. it's a completely protected zone for your veggies and your fruit trees. Oh. You might want to factor in a yeah, bit of I space might, for one of these. After I you might sp- have to hold off on the <laughs> jobs in there. We're going to be chatting with Dave from Key Permaculture and Constructions about what he does to help gardeners. Well, our guest today started his league career at the Gold Coast Chargers, went on to become a star of the Penrith Panthers. He will perhaps be best remembered for the moment in the 2003 NRL Grand Final in which he played at lock, made one of the greatest tackles in rugby league history. He's turned his hand to a media career now, among other things, but I think he still spends a bit of time in the garden. We speak of none other than Scott Sattler. Hello, Scotty. How are you? I'm good, Dale and Jane. How are you guys? Good good. good to be here with you. We're excited to have you on the show. People say I've a rugby league career, but also love spending time in the garden. doesn't sort of go part and parcel, does it? (laughs) Hey, I think it's all part of the modern footballer profile that you can be (laughs) multifaceted. It took my mind away from all the uh, the carnage I used to put my body through at the time. Now, where do we find you? Give people a picture. Uh, We're all a little jealous down here in lockdown Melbourne that up north there, you're stealing our football, you've got the great weather, you've got Peter Volandi's, you know, batting for your sport. How's life and where are you? I grew up most of my life 
on the Gold Coast uh, from ever since I was about the age of 10. My family, we lived, we owned hotels and pubs around different parts of Queensland, central Queensland, and we used to live in the pubs that we owned as well. Tremendous upbringing. As soon as I started playing rugby league, got graded in 1991-92 and retired in 2004. As soon as my last game was played for the West Tigers in Sydney, I ordered the removalist trucks for about three days after that last game because I just couldn't wait to get back to the Gold Coast. And I've been back on the Gold Coast ever since from 2004 in September and and don't have any plans of, of moving any anytime. So the only place I'd move to if I had to would be the South Island, New Zealand, from where my wife is from. And uh, outside of that, I can't see us moving from, from the Gold Coast, which is in winter, it's about 22, 24 degrees. Mm. We've got beautiful weather on the on the Gold Coast at the moment. The, the surf is absolutely sensational, and, and you don't have to wear a jumper, which is great. And you're, you're right, we're owning all the sports at the moment. AFL, V8s have now quarantined themselves <laughs> in Queensland. And... Queensland, perfect one day and just bloody brilliant the next. Exactly. Now, I know that you've downsized recently, but the reason I wanted to talk to you is because I heard about your incredible property in the hinterland and that you had a little bit of land and, and quite a lovely setup there. But we have heard there's a reason why you perhaps moved that's not to do with downsizing. It's to do with a dog. Where Frank the Tank, I think it was. Is it a little staffy? Frank the Tank, yeah. He's an English staffy named after Will Ferrell's character in old school, Frank the Tank. Love so that. Never thought that we'd have a dog, actually, because um, we're always so busy. We took the plunge and got a dog, and we lived on two acres, a suburb called Benogan, uh, which is just on the outskirts of, of the Gold Coast. And the dog, Frank, well, he just kept running away. So um, <laughs> hence why we had to downsize, because we were fearing that he was either going to get hit by a car or someone was going to steal him and we'd never see him again. <laughs> <laughs> and you were sick of the neighbours having to bring him back, by all reports. <laughs> We had this really good system going with about... He used to go to the same four houses every day when he, and we couldn't find out how he was getting out. And um, I built this nice, good high fence, which is about... It probably stood about four foot high. And we didn't know how he was getting out because everything was shut. Each day or every second day, we'd get a text message from all four houses saying, Frank to our house, playing with the dog. <laughs> and he just used to turn around about the same time every afternoon and make his way back home. But unfortunately, that's when you either get bitten by a snake because you had to go through the forest to get back home. Yep. I installed some external cameras outside, out in the back, and I ended up finding out that he was, he was actually leaping over the fence. Yeah, they're bloody and good that's jumpers. that's getting through the, through the property. One thing, he, he never knew not to run away because we try and always discipline him, but he always knew never to go near the veggie garden, which is quite amazing. Good. Yeah. <laughs> that, that is very good. Mm. Now, have you ever had a gardening or a DIY injury, Scott? Because, well, I'm thinking in your family, if you did, say you're doing the fence, you probably ripped your finger and then just kept going because of the, your DNA. Your father, of course, was John <laughs> Sattler, legendary rugby league player, who in 1970, in a Souths win over Manly, basically got king hit in the first few minutes, from what I understand, mm. went through the entire game with a jaw that was fractured in two places, saying to his teammates, hold me up so they don't know I'm hurt, went to hospital after mm. receiving a medal for the game and after giving an acceptance speech, at which point I would love to hear the audio of him just going... <laughs> so, seriously, you're pretty tough in the Sattler family. Like, you can cope with a bit of pain, can't you? Yeah, we had to growing up. Um, we were expected to, actually. Um, and, yeah, my father, that story is, is folklore. And he was captain of South and played in six grand finals, won four of them. And that grand final, people say his jaw was broken. 
is it probably doesn't do it justice. It's actually smashed. It was smashed in three spots oh. under each under each ear low, right. uh, just at the top of your jaw, and also straight down the middle of where you, where oh. the, the middle of your chin goes through. So his, his jaw was hanging down in two massive big <laughs> places, oh, and like he kept a... having to push it up. He used to push it up and hold it together, and then he'd get hit in a tackle and fall apart again. And, um, oh, God. And like an anaconda. Point, said, <laughs> yeah, his coach said, you're not going back out because, you know, I'm fearing for, you know, what may happen to you health-wise. Yeah. And he pushed his coach aside, and he ran out into the, field, out into the Sydney Cougar ground for the second half so no one could chase him. Oh, so he's a little hurt. bit crazy. My dad always has been crazy. And, um, yeah, I've had, I've had a couple of... Um, had a couple of bad injuries when I played early on in my career, but I was fortunate enough late in my career I didn't have a lot of injuries actually. And then, um, and then when in the in the acreage that I was that I had, um, I did have a, a mishap. I first time I ever used a nail gun, and so I was building the fence and <laughs> oh, this stupidly isn't I put go my well, hand man. on. <laughs> yeah, so I put I put my hand on one side of the paling. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the nail gun on the other side and just stupidly just pulled the trigger and it just yep. went straight through my hand. So, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's, uh, I've got a really good mark actually in the outside of my hand, so it's my badge of honour. Oh, my goodness. And was your dad into a bit of DIY and gardening too? I mean, he would have been a very busy, busy no. man, but not his thing? No. No, not his thing. Uh as I said, we grew up in pubs and we lived in the pubs that we owned ever since I was about six years of age. So saw a lot of things or probably uh, you wouldn't subject a child to, a lot of violence, yeah. a lot of violence in the pubs that my dad owned. Um, he it was basically, he worked for Carlton United Breweries for a lot of years and they used to put him into pubs that they saw as a big asset that they wanted to clean up. So they used to send dad in there for two or three years to clean the pub up, get it going operationally and then, and then they'd go and sell it. And... He's a very good. He's very good at doing that, and um, we lived in the pub. So, and he didn't. We didn't have. From memory, I can't remember ever having a garden. Actually, what about a, a beer garden? Yeah, could have been come a beer on, garden. beer gardens. We had a beer garden. Well, good work, Jane. Yeah, we had plenty <laughs> of beer gardens. <laughs> <laughs> what, what makes a good beer garden, by your reckoning, Scott Sattler? Screens everywhere. You got to have screens, and you got to have a different sport on each screen because not everyone's the same. Yeah. And then uh, what's a good beer garden is you got to have cover. Yeah. You can't have it open. True. And um, you got to have a wet bar. You can't expect people to go back inside the building to get their drinks. You got to have a wet bar outside. True. Yeah. You got to have foliage. And you've got to have an acoustic uh, guitar as well somewhere. Yeah. But, but the foliage, <laughs> the foliage could be hanging out the top of your glass, couldn't it? As, uh, <laughs> it's like yeah. a, a garnish on your drink. One of our really good drinkers at one of the pubs that was there every day, he used to sit in the beer garden. He thought, he said, if you've got really good foliage, it means that you, your wife can't drive past and look into the beer garden to see whether ah, you're there. So. There you go. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Hide the evidence. Yeah. Oh, that's I love it. it. I love it. A little ivy wall or something like that to uh, protect <laughs> one's uh, mm. privacy. You've downsized now, so obviously not as much work to be done around the place, but you, do you still get out into the garden? I've got a good little garden at the back. I made sure that there's this little garden area that, that, I, um, that I'm going to obviously keep intact. But outside of that, there's not one blade of grass on the new on the new property. Actually, I tell a lie because I've moved into like a villa, a side by side villa, and I need to. We need to move back to the water just for quality of life. I think we're going crazy, stir crazy at one stage there. But um, feeding all the animals in the veggie gardens. But uh, 
But I said to the next door neighbour, said to me, oh, have you got a mower? I said, no, I don't need one. I gave it to a friend of mine. He goes, no, see that one little patch out the front of your house? That's yours. I went, uh. But I don't have a mower. And he said, I'll do it for you. So there you go. I'll give him a six-pack each month, and he does my lawn for ah, me. Ah, perfect. <laughs> Sounds like a fantastic deal. It's been uh, great to speak with you on the sport of gardening. I've got a visual image of you with a nail gun nail stuck through your hand yeah. that's not going to leave me for a few hours. Plus, still at your dad's jaw hanging off. But yeah. it's been awesome. Thank you so much. Anytime, guys. Do you know how many people I've heard have done that with a nail gun, Jane, where they've just held pressure behind something <laughs> and then shot into their hand from the other side? It's just so common. So is that your tip for the day? I always, guns? when I'm using a nail gun, I always make sure the hand that isn't holding the gun, I can see somewhere so I know it's not going to be... <laughs> uh, you know, mistakenly shot into. I um, actually borrowed one to try and make a little stud wall in a oh, bathroom yeah. reno and it scared the pants off of me. Just the noise. Just the boom. <laughs> and it really it was a bit too full on for me. I got yep. my brother-in-law to help out. But oh, wow. how good is Scotty Sattler? And of oh. course, you can hear him calling NRL Nation right around the country. You're on the sport of gardening with me, Jane Neild and Dale Vine. It's all thanks to Red Energy. They're owned by Snowy Hydro and a renewable energy leader. And while Scott Sattler might have a few issues keeping his dog in his yard, a lot of people struggle with keeping animals out of their veggie patch and their orchards. So still to come on the show, we're going to catch up with someone who knows all about harvest protection. You're listening to The Sport of Gardening with Dale Vine and Jane Neal. If you love an insightful podcast, Red Energy's podcast lifestyle series is for you. Cooking, enjoy Tuesday with Ash Pollard. Really, the people around here truly lived farm to table. I know it's trendy now, but it was necessity back then. Parents, Mum Plus One with Joe Stanley. At the height of coronavirus lockdown, I gave up on all screen time restrictions. Powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy, switch to Aussie-owned Red Energy today. Red Energy's lifestyle podcast available from your podcast provider and the SEN app. And great to have you with us on the sport of gardening. Still to come, we are going to talk total harvest protection with Dave from Key Permaculture and Constructions. He has a business that uh, puts structures over people's gardens and fruit trees, orchard style that is going to give you envy. I, yeah. I guarantee it. Yeah. <laughs> I love a good, a well set out garden that actually has the proper protection in place yeah. so you don't get all that hard work eaten by pests. But now it is time to talk tools. Thanks to Cyclone Tools, they're built to last a lifetime. And Trojan Tools, they're tools built tough, available at Bunnings Warehouse. Now, this week you have been putting the Cyclone Bypass Ratchet Lopper with telescopic handles. <laughs> She's a bit of a mouthful. Ooh. Okay, for people who do not do landscaping and yep. gardening on a daily basis, what the heck is a bypass ratchet telescopic handle? <laughs> lopper. <laughs> lopper. Uh, yeah, so everyone would be familiar with, with loppers as to what they are. That um, Once you go past a pair of secateurs and you've got a branch that's a little bit thicker, you need to get something bigger. So loppers come with a standard sort of... Um, sized handle and um, and they're usually probably you know five to 
700 mil long, uh, which are great because you can sort of just get up and um, get some of those branches that are a little bit higher. But there's also branches that usually fall just outside that zone that, um, you know, you don't want to really go and grab a, a ladder just to sort of get up. It makes things a bit more dangerous in pruning. Um, so these things are fantastic because you still get the use of a what you need, which is a good hard lopper, but you can um, literally just extend the handles and um, telescopically means they've got the ha- more handle inside the other one and they just pull out, that Jane, what? and you, you nearly double your distance. So they're, um, <laughs> they're amazing. Yeah, they're really handy and uh, very strong. Just pulling it out doesn't make them any weaker. So it's, um, yeah, great tool. Okay, so can you come to my place with your loppers, with your telescopic handles? Because I have camellia bushes that are now like, I reckon some of them yep. are like, 10, 15 foot tall. Unfortunately, I can't, Jane, but I can oh. lend, I can lend you these loppers. <laughs> you can do that yourself, I think. I think it's really interesting that you point out that it's safer. Yes. Because, look, I won't go into details, but my mum actually passed away in a gardening accident. Yes. And I never thought for a second that something as simple as putting a net on a fruit tree yes. would be you know, the cause of someone's death from well, a fall. But you don't want to be up on a ladder no. trying to prune above your head. Yep. And then really unstable, dangerous. Pruning takes a lot of concentration <laughs> um, in itself. So, yeah, adding the, the dangers of um, balancing and, and trying to be on top of something just is a, a recipe for disaster, as you mentioned. So, yeah, they're, they're a great tool to stop accidents and, uh, and prune safely. Well, that is the Cyclone Bypass Ratchet Lopper with telescopic handles. Yep. I now have a vision of it in my head and I think I want one. Of course, Cyclone Tools built to last a lifetime. Now, I've got a very special shout out this morning on the show because Caroline Wilson, of course, she's one of the best journos in the AFL in the business. She listens every week. So good morning, Caro. So lovely to have you listening to the show. But look, my tip for the week is researching things, Dale, because Caro and I do a a podcast called Don't Shoot the Messenger with Corey Perkin as well. I'm lucky enough. Now that I'm onto him, yeah. (laughs) Lucky enough to produce that every week. Caro's been listening to the show and then asking me for all the gardening tips. I don't pretend to be an expert, but she actually went out and started doing a little research on how to plant garlic. So here's just a little grab from Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast. I planted my garlic last week. Now, Miss Jane had said you should do it on the shortest day of the year. Mm, and that's going to sound you a little bit late with well, your garlic. Well, only a couple of weeks. I YouTubed, I, I looked up planting garlic and the best advice, apart from he also said, Jane, shortest day of the year, harvest on the longest day. So it might be a little bit late for Christmas, but you plant every little clove one hand length apart. Mm, and good you idea. put your thumb into the ground and you put it where your thumb lands. So don't you just think that is so awesome to it think is. someone like Caroline Wilson has spent the time to sit down there. Google how to plant garlic and has come up with some great tips. Yeah, it just goes to show how many people love gardening, I reckon, Jane. And and we found heaps of them, especially through the sporting world and keen interest. You are never too old to learn a new skill either. And that's my tip for everyone this week is if there's a little thing, perhaps you've got a plant that you would love to grow or something you want to get done in the garden. Don't be worried if you don't know how to do it now. Get Dale's book if it's to do with the (laughs) Renault Guide, (laughs) Dale Vines Outdoor Renault guide or Google it. Yeah. Get the information. Go to your local nursery. Go down to your local hardware store. We are very lucky. We're living <laughs> in the, the world of one click away, really, aren't we? So there you go. A thumb deep for your garlic if you haven't planted it already and a hand apart. A thumb, thumbs up for a thumb deep. <laughs>
You're listening to The Sport of Gardening right around Australia on SEN and SEN Track on a Sunday morning or at any time you choose via podcast. It's all thanks to Red Energy, owned by Snowy Hydro, a renewable energy leader. Don't forget, if you've got a question for Dale, at any time you can hit him up on his Instagram at VineyD. You're listening to the sport of gardening for Cyclone Tools, built to last a lifetime. Trojan, tools built tough, only at Bunnings Warehouse. And Red Energy, owned by Snowy Hydro, a renewable energy leader. The Sounding Board with Craig Hutchison and Damien Barrett. It's sport, it's the media, it's talking about the issues that matter. I know for a fact that the players Mark Rusciuto referred to publicly were furious. And I reckon, without speaking to Sam and nor would Sam tell me, to Leon's point, the timing and time frame around Sam hitting go on that story is in direct relation to Mark Rusciuto making those comments unnecessarily about five, six weeks ago. He got in the States, Donald Trump finally agreeing to wear a mask because he had previously said it to be, in his mind, a sign of some sort of weakness. And the Republicans are supposed to not be wearing masks and the Democrats all are. And that how that became a political issue, I'll never know. Why do we think we can actually influence people? Because we can't. All of us in the media absolutely get carried away with our own non-importance. For DrinkWise, stay safe. And if you're choosing to drink, please DrinkWise. And for Red Energy, 100% Australian electricity and gas. The Sounding Board with Hutchie and Damo. Subscribe and listen today wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Sport of Gardening with Dale Vine and Jane Neal. And we hope you've been able to get out into the garden as you're listening to the Sport of Gardening this week. Perhaps you are about to tackle a DIY project. Dale Vine and I are here with you to maybe give you some inspiration, maybe a little bit of advice. We try, Jane. (laughs) We do try. Look, the reason I wanted to speak to our next guest is if you remind ourselves of that first episode of The Sport of Gardening, we checked in with Sandy Roberts, who is one of the absolute legends of AFL. Yes, he is. A beloved commentator. Sandy mentioned he was having a few issues with kangaroos and native wildlife getting into his veggie garden. Yes, he did. Very upset about it. So I turned to social media and a page that I've been following for quite some time on Facebook, which is Harvest Protection by Key Permaculture. We talked glass houses a little while ago and I said I had glass house envy. I have harvest protection envy now, Dale. <laughs> You're a shocker, Jane. Everything you come across, you have envy of. Well, so. I do because I just have that dream of having a perfect plot of land yeah. one day with a garden that doesn't get attacked by every insect, pest, bird and animal that wants yep. to ravage it and a nice glass house I can Absolutely, grow things in. Yeah. Is that it's, too much to ask, I Dale? I think you'd be in a lot of trouble <laughs> if you owned a few acres, Jane. <laughs> you'd be out of pocket with all these things you were going to put on it. No, there would be a whole shed full of recycling materials so that I could try and bang them up myself, but that's probably not going to happen. So I may have to get Dave Key to help me out. Dave from Key Permaculture and Constructions, welcome to the Sport of Gardening. Where do we find you on this beautiful morning, Dave? I am sitting outside in the sun, looking at the lovely view um, out in the beautiful Danyong Ranges in Callista with Chewy the Sheep, Sophie the Puppy Dog and Ruby the Puppy Dog. So we're having a lovely morning out here. Beautiful. Sounds peaceful and blissful. Now, explain to me, Dave, in your lingo, what is harvest protection? If I was standing in front of one of your new installations, exactly what would I be looking at? Give people a visual image. What we build is greenhouse hoops on support posts 
covered with bird net. In summary, what we also do is we use a chicken wire wall on there, which um, comes up about a metre and a half. We have an apron of chicken wire on the bottom of that, which stops all your foxes digging in and any of the ground-dwelling critters coming along and chewing their way through net if the net was down on the ground. Um, And it provides you with a fully secure space that you can then put your fruit trees, veggies, your backyard poultry like chickens, ducks, quails, guinea pigs um, in there and let you grow your things without the native and non-native animals coming through and eating it all your hard work. Yeah, cool. That's actually a good point, Dave, because as you know, Jane, when you um, are trying to protect your veggies and your crops, especially when you're on a rural property with a bit of land, um, it's it's just as important um, with the netting over the top, keeping birds and things um, from getting in there. But it's the, the part on where the where the netting meets the ground, which is also equally important, which is why you need like a footing or a bit of wire that goes beneath the ground for a little bit so things can't dig and get in there as well because that's often the part that most people forget is that the things can dig into the ground and get under. So that's a good good point there, Dave. Yeah, we have found over our journey over the last five years that what happens when you bury wire is Digging a hole is difficult. It's a lot of hard work. Yeah. And then actually, so like a lot of people bury chicken wire to stop animals getting in. Yeah. And I've actually gone through and fixed up issues with that. And what happens is the part that's buried in the ground, it's entombed in the soil and is nice and good. The bit in the air is out in the air and it dries out and is nice and good. The top two inches of chicken wire in the soil, just in that junction between the earth and the soil. Yeah. It's really active, lots of microbes, it gets wet, it dries out. Mm. Even heavy-duty galvanised chicken wire will rust out within about five years when you bury it like that. Yeah, so, so if you're going to dig a trench, you might as well just pour concrete and make a footing, yeah? Yeah, and that's, that's, like, that's huge amounts of effort yep. and that's huge amounts of inputs when what we do where we just lay the chicken wire on the ground and peg it down with ah. weed mat spikes or tent pegs, yep. if you're able to lay that out even on a boundary fence on your neighbour's property, if they're okay with that. Yep. If not, you can bring it in slightly and have it on your own property there. That, we found, is just as effective as bearing wire initially, yep. but it lasts longer term. Yeah, good and idea. We have even have CCT footage of a fox going hammer and tongs at the wire yep. to try and get the ducks that are inside. Oh, so right. It was a trail camera that was put up to find why chicken wire was getting bent overnight. And what it was was the fox was coming in there and just, like, trying to rip at the chicken wire and get through it all. So it was one that – it was amazing footage to watch. And he was there for about 20 minutes trying to get in. And he'd obviously tried a couple of times because there was all damage along the wall where he'd obviously just had a go at it all, but couldn't get in. And the five ducks that were inside there were are still alive and still safe and still doing all the duck things that they do. I think, Dave, a lot of people just, you know, take it for granted that if you're going to have something growing and there's animals around, you just have to put up with years of battling them. But to me, what you're doing is really smart because it's like, all right, I'm going to spend more money at the start when I set everything up. And then I just know that all I've got to do is look after the plants for the next 10, 20. I mean, your structures last a long time, don't they? It, it just takes all of that they, battle they, out of it. They do. And what I really like is when you have a considered design, it's in like in any landscape um, design or any um, landscaping project, when you have a considered space, you have the freedom inside it to make things work. So... 
what we do is providing that space in there that if you want to have chickens and ducks with your fruit trees or you want to put your veggies with your fruit trees, you spend a lot of money, um, you invest a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of TLC in your plants and to try and get a yield out of them. And then each year everything comes through and does it, like just does a nana on on your plants because why would they eat all the other things out there when they've got the tasty stuff in that you're trying to grow, which is generally high in nutrient content, not sprayed with pesticides because you're growing it all at home nice and organically. It's a no-brainer that they're going to come in and try and eat your stuff over anything else that's out there. Yeah, you're pretty much just presenting a supermarket to them, aren't you? So <laughs> the poor things are on the other you side are, just dreaming of what they could eat in there. But no, you got to keep them out. That's good, mate. And what, what would you say business-wise... Um, uh, you guys would trade as far as um, do you do more commercial stuff for produce farmers or is it 50-50 with your average sort of um, homeowner that wants to put something out the back of their residence as well? So what what sort of work do you normally sort of do, mate? We concentrate on the domestic market and providing this solely to the domestic market because there is very little options out there for professionally built, complete installations for the home market for people that are looking to protect their things and their produce that they grow at home and ensuring that none of the animals that you're trying to keep out are harmed in your efforts to protect your stuff is another one that we take pride in making sure that nothing is going to get entangled or get harmed in your endeavours to try and keep your um, keep them out from eating your produce. Yep. Yeah, I um, grew up on five acres in the sort of Adelaide Hills, a little place called Nan, there is nothing more traumatic as a kid than being told to go down and pick the fresh peaches and finding a gorgeous Eastern Rosella tangled up in a net, distressed and fighting for its life. It's a thing of the past, I hope, because there are new regulations about making sure your nets are tight in Victoria's from what I'm aware, but it really is a, a, a perfect thing if you have that net tensioned. The birds can't get stuck, can they, Dave? No. The new prevention of cruelty to animals regulations um, they for bird netting kick in next year on September 1st and all netting in use then has to have a hole diameter of five millimeters or less um, we currently are using a two centimeter hole net and haven't had any entanglement issues but we will be transitioning over to the new compliant netting with a slightly different design in there to allow the pollinators in because the new compliant netting keeps out all the bees as yep. well as all the birds and the bats and the possums. Yep. So we just need to just tweak the design slightly and put a few different things in place to make sure that you can still have your pollinators get in and make sure you're still getting a harvest out of all that. Perfect. Uh, we've got to, <laughs> we always love the bees on this show, don't we, Jane? Oh, you don't want to have to get a paintbrush out and get into your protected crop That's and true. have to hand pollinate. So, <laughs> hey, Dave, for people who are listening and thinking, well, I'm not sure if the budget stretches to this, you've actually just released a sort of standardised model, haven't you? Can people actually order that and maybe get someone else to construct it or do the, do it themselves? At the minute, the, we've just released a build at seven metres wide and 12 metres long, which is a nice compact one for any of the backyards that have a little bit more room and want to produce a couple of hundred kilos of fruit a year and a couple of hundred kilos of veggies a year comfortably in that space. Um, for the DIY market, we're releasing soon some of the 
um, greenhouse hoops at three metres, four metres or five metres wide so that people can have a go at putting their own posts in and installing hoops and um, pulling net over things, putting chicken wire walls on there themselves because there's a market in there for the DIYs. Anything larger than them getting out the five sort of metre mark in there, it becomes awkward and cumbersome to try and install. We install up to 10 metres wide. We can do that off ladders, and it's not... It's not for the faint-hearted, yeah. and it's not for. It's not one that I would be comfortable sort of selling to people to sort of say, "Here we go, have a ten-meter-wide piece of steel to try and put up in the air." <laughs> we know that with some basic DIY skills and some small eight-foot ladders, you can install a three or four or five-meter hoop and have your own space in there. If you have got, say, some existing poles, you want to try some different materials in there, and you want to just have a go at. Um, doing it yourself or even saving saving the money on paying a professional to come out and do it themselves because there's lots of people who like to get out there and have a crack at it themselves. Some jobs really are just worth paying money for, I think, for installations, <laughs> Jane, and this sounds like one of those to me. Well, if you're hearing the stats that Dave's talking about there, hundreds of kilos of fruit yeah. and vegetables, I mean, that will pay for itself. I mean, you're probably not doing it because it's going to be cheaper than just buying budget veggies. But you're growing Definitely it. Not. You know who picked it. You. You know that you know, you're know you doing it as a labour of love. You're not getting underpaid as a migrant worker. There's issues with the cheap supply of fruit and veggie in our communities. So doing it yourself, you've got 10, 20, 30 years of a fantastic construction. It really is a great investment, isn't it, Dave? Yeah, it is. And so that's 84 square metre build I talked about before. You can fit 10 trees in there, not giving them each a good bit of room to grow on dwarf rootstock. That means they stop growing at two and a half, three metres high, so they're not going to get too big to pick the fruit in. Each one of those trees, when they're protected, can produce an average of about 50 kilos a year. And you've got 10 trees in there, yeah, 500 right. kilos a year. Too and much. You've got too you much. You'll have to give it away to friends. <laughs> well, if the, invest- the initial investment is too large, you can start to build a community with your neighbours and... You might have a better spot for sun and slightly flatter, ah. and you might be able to then build that community around you all and say, well, we're going to put in 10 fruit trees here. Yep. We aren't going to need 500 kilos of fruit. Yeah. We don't want to go and spend $2,500 buying 500 kilos of fruit a year to have too much here. We're going to put this in here. How about we go and you bring it around with a couple of families and obviously at the minute we're socially distanced at all, but as you go through in there, you've then got enough produce in there to feed a couple of families with fruit out of cool. like a very small space. Yeah, nice. I like that idea. I'll, I'll do all the lemons, you do all the blueberries, and we'll uh, swap <laughs> yeah. over the fence. That's oh, cool. Now you're talking about blueberries. That, I mean, mm, they're expensive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's, I, I went on $5 a kilo because that's what the current supermarket price for conventional apples is and their apples are picked 18 months ago put in a controlled environment bought out to the supermarket and they're only uh, grown to be presentable apples with the right color and the right shape and when they don't meet those criteria they get thrown out and wasted which is horrible and they're not grown to be nice tasty apples and when you grow them yourself, you can go out there, as you said, that nice sun-ripe peach that you pick 
and you just the juice runs down your hand, and you're just there mm. sitting in the sun, going. There, there is a big difference. I don't difference, care what I spend now. This this memory is awesome. Yeah, if you get a good apple and you actually eat it, bite into a nice, you know, freshly picked apple. Just the difference between that and a supermarket apple is just ridiculously good, isn't it? And the uh, I I did a bit of fruit picking in my um, school holidays days back in uh, Swan Hill in in Lake Boga, and um, uh, we used to pick nectarines and um, peaches, and the peaches give you a bit of a rash because they're kind of furry after a whole day of picking, but then you used to have one or two off the trees, and, and they were... Fruit that you would never see fruit that good, obviously, because they export a lot of the A-grade stuff overseas. Um, but, yeah, mm-hmm. you just bite into some of that and it was some of the best fruit you'd ever eat straight off the tree. It was so good, Jane. Give me a white nectarine over mm, a peach no, any day. No, I'm, I'm a yellow nectarine man. I love the yellow <laughs> oh, ones. Uh, battle on, battle on. <laughs> I'm a mulberry person myself. Oh, mulberries. Oh, yeah. oh, hallelujah. Someone mentioned yeah. mulberries. Yeah, that's old school mulberries. <laughs> yeah, so my... my my little man, Ren, I have him two days a week. He's four, and he's growing up walking outside and just picking fruit when it's ripe. And one of his favourite ones, I've got five mulberries at home, five yep. different varieties. He's got a nice little white, long, skinny one. The fruit on it is called white chatoot. Yeah. And it's a little, um, when it's nearly ripe, it tastes like an apple cross cucumber with a little wow. bit of crunch in it. And then when it goes just to ripe and overripe, it's like this amazingly sweet lolly mm. of just sugar and it, it's really difficult to describe the flavour but it's just fantastic yeah. and Ren goes out there and picks those and then he'll walk up to the black mulberry and he'll come inside and he's just got that stained face <laughs> and oh, hands and biggest yeah. grin on his face going <laughs> I love this yeah. and or he goes outside when raspberries are in there and we pick, he'll be picking raspberries in his gumboot and dressing gown so we can go put them on the porridge that we just cooked for breakfast. Like those sort of things, like that's that, to me they're, they're they're valuable, more valuable than what you spend on protecting it all. Because the next generation is learning that stuff doesn't come from just from the supermarket. You've got to grow it, got to look after it, got to pick it, and then it tastes so good. Like yeah. it just tastes so much better than yeah what you can buy. At the, Abs- at the shops. Absolutely, Dave. I think we're all on the same page with that. Of course, you are listening to the sport of gardening, all thanks to Red Energy, powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. You can switch to Aussie-owned Red Energy today. Dave, if people are listening and they want to talk about harvest protection and chat with you at Key Permaculture and Constructions, how can we find you? How can we connect? The best place to find us is on um, social medias or my website. The website is keypermaculture.com.au or facebook.com slash keypermaculture. And we are going to put all of those links in the show notes to the podcast version of The Sport of Gardening so you can click through and you'll be in touch with Dave in no time. Thank you, Dave. And I've loved hearing the sulfur-crested cockatoos in the background squawking while you were talking with us. We'll let you get back to enjoying that beautiful, beautiful garden in the Dandenongs. Thanks for your time. Thank you very much, Joanne. Thank you very much, Dale. That's Dave Key from Key Permaculture and Constructions. You are on The Sport of Gardening. Don't go anywhere. More in a moment. You're listening to The Sport of Gardening with Dale Vine and Jane Neal. 
Don't Shoot the Messenger with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Great local tips, books, screen food, recommendations, the week that was. Ed brings a lot to the table then because he was in the Corona cabinet and there's things he can't say. We've been blueing for 25 years. It's going to continue. You know, that's just the way it is. But when you're at home, it's like watching mum and dad fight. I'm day 15 of Dry July. Yeah, I embarked upon it, and when they announced the lockdown, I went, oh, really bad call. I must say, I am getting so much more done. I'm reading more at night. Because you're not falling asleep in your drunken bug. I didn't mind Greg Hunt mucking up the mask. I thought that was sort of quite cute. I would not put cute and Greg Hunt in the same sentence. It's a tiger supporter, just saying. For red energy, 100% Australian electricity and gas. Become best friends with Caro and Corrie. Subscribe and listen today wherever you get your podcasts. And you're with Jane and Dale on the Sporter Gardening, of course, a show that began during the midst of the very first coronavirus lockdown and has continued because we love our gardens. More people than ever are getting out into the garden, perhaps trying to grow their own food for the very first time, perhaps tackling a reno project that has been on hold for quite a while. And of course, Dale Vine, you can buy his book, The Outdoor Reno Guide. You can renovate on any budget, and Dale's got a whole book full of great suggestions for you there. Now, Dale, I noticed one of the chapters in your book is about dog-proofing or making pet-friendly gardens, because we spoke to Scott Sattler earlier, who literally admitted he downsized and sold a property because (laughs) because of his dog dog problems, yeah. (laughs) So what would you recommend? Give us a few tips for people who want to start looking at the garden in terms of being pet-friendly. As far as um, what Scott's problem was with, with pets getting out and stuff, did put on there if you were building from scratch and you had the the luxury of putting um you know, even extremes as such as uh, concrete footings in your fence lines and stuff. Um, that'll stop your dogs um, from digging under your fence. That sounds um, like a whole lot of work. It's and not. It's not if you're building it from scratch. So if you're already doing holes to put, you know, posts in for your fence, it's not too much more work. While you've got a machine there to um, just dig a little trench with a bucket, and um, while you're filling your post holes in with the concrete to get them set, you can just pour a bit of concrete throughout the um, footings as well. So it sounds like a lot of work and it would be if you're doing it um, to a pre-existing fence, but if you're doing it from scratch, then it's something worth doing if you've got lots of family dogs. So, well, Scott's dog was going over a four-foot yeah, high Yeah, so that's, that's the other thing. You can, you can put fence toppers on, but if you are building a fence from scratch as well and you know you've got a, a curious dog that likes to sort of climb and jump and all the rest of it, you can always have a chat with your neighbour as well and see how friendly they are and how opposed they are to um, having the railings on the opposite side of the fence, so your neighbour's side. So usually you get um, within a property, you get might have the railings on your side on one side of your house and then the, it usually follows down the street that way. So you'll end up with one side of the fence on one side of your house with just palings flat and the other side will have the railings yeah. exposed. But if you chat to your neighbour, they might be happy to have railings on on their side of the fence and then that'll mean the dog hasn't got something to grab onto and, and leap up even further. So I've been, I uh, will admit, watching YouTube videos recently yeah. of people's CCT coverage yeah, of their yards funny. of dogs 
escaping yep. various. So there's a TV show in that alone, I reckon. Just it's hilarious. Yeah, it's so they're pretty wily. adventurous. And I had a dog when I was growing up, and I was just a a teenager, and um, it was the first time I'd lived away from home. So I thought, oh, I'm going to get my own dog, and and he was literally a, a Houdini. He used to climb trees <laughs> and then jump out of the tree over the fence like he was insane. A drop bear. Yeah. yeah. What was his name? Cody. Uh, yeah. Cody, you troublemaker. He was a shocker. Yeah. Hey, what about plants? Do we have to be careful that we don't plant stuff that could be toxic? We do, yeah. There's not a, a massive amount of plants that you have to worry about as far as common ones that people plant in their in their yards. But tulips, daffodils, if you like bulbs and things, um, they're not great for your dogs. A common one that a lot of people do plant is azaleas. Azaleas aren't great for your, for your dogs. And also um, palms such as sago palms are very popular these days with tropical sort of properties up there in Queensland especially mm-hmm. and down here in Victoria as well. There's a lot of places that have um, sago palms and it's mainly more the, the big berry clusters that they get in a fist-like bract in the middle that grow out the, the centre. Um, so if they start eating those, they get really crook. And um, there's another weed as well that grows. I think, I don't know what the technical name of it was, but it's common name was the wandering Jew. So it's a real fleshy one. Yep. Uh, it goes rampant. If you leave one little bit in it, it'll grow again. Do not put it in your compost. No. And, <laughs> and they too are no good for your dogs. So um, they can get quite sick from munching on those. But as you know, Jane, dogs like to actually eat grass to um, get something out of their stomach and you'll see little patches of thrown up grass around your yard and that's when a dog wants to purposely do that to get something out of their stomach. So, yeah, you've got to be a little bit careful with what you've planted around your house. And if you'd like more advice on that, you can grab Dale's book. It's Dale Vine's Outdoor Reno Guide. It's available in all good bookstores and I'm tipping it as a perfect Father's Day gift. Dale, thank you so much for another fantastic week on the show. Yeah, no, it's always fun. And if you'd like to ask Dale a question, you can email us feedback at sportofgardening.com.au or you can head to Dale's Instagram at Viney D. Thanks, Jane. And of course, thank you to our fantastic sponsors, Cyclone Tools. They make premium gardening products and have been the choice of garden landscapers for over a hundred years. And of course, thanks to Red Energy. They're owned by Snowy Hydro, a renewable energy leader. Enjoy the gardening and the DIYing for the next week and we'll talk to you soon. You're listening to the sport of gardening for Cyclone Tools, built to last a lifetime. Trojan, tools built tough, only at Bunnings Warehouse. And Red Energy, owned by Snowy Hydro, a renewable energy leader. If you love an insightful podcast, Red Energy's podcast lifestyle series is for you. Cooking, enjoy Tuesday with Ash Pollard. Really, the people around here truly lived farm to table. I know it's trendy now, but it was necessity back then. The parents, Mum Plus One with Joe Stanley. At the height of coronavirus lockdown, I gave up on all screen time restrictions. Powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy, switch to Aussie-owned Red Energy today. Red Energy's lifestyle podcast available from your podcast provider and the SEN app.